Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. Our purpose is to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're working our way through 1 Timothy in our current series, Behave Yourself. Now let's jump in and hear what Kurt has to say. Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. We are, as you know, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've discussed the what we call the qualifications of a bishop or uh, some would say a pastor and elder. We believe those terms are used interchangeably in the Word of God. Ironically, uh, the word pastor is used uh, least of the three, so that's interesting. Uh, that doesn't mean you can start calling me Bishop Skelly or Elder Skelly. Um, matter of fact, you just call me whatever you want to call me. Uh, I'm just plain old Kurt to most of you. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, let's open our Bibles, if we can, and look all the way down at verse number 8. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible says, likewise. So we've been talking about the bishop, likewise. So just as God has expectations for the teaching leaders in our local churches, so God has expectations for the serving leaders in our churches. The Bible calls them deacons, diakonos, ministers. Uh, table waiters would be the, the, the exact definition of the term. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, so a couple of these qualifications we've talked about already. We've talked about the alcohol. We've talked about uh, greediness. We, so, so I don't want to be redundant with all of these, but let's look at a couple of those initial ones there, uh, John. Gravity, double-tongued. Uh, talk about that. What, what does it mean that a deacon be grave? You know, grave, you mentioned that. I think you may use the word weighty, something that is heavy. Something, again, that gets the idea of this man being serious-minded. You know, he's doing a serious responsibility in the church. And this is not to be taken lightly. There ought to be, you know, a great measure of weight the man feels in the way he lives his life of, you know, I'm serving Jesus Christ, that I need to do things that are right because what I'm doing, people are paying attention to, and this will affect the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, another good synonym would be the word reverence, a reverence for God, a reverence for the things of God, and a reverence for the people of God. A deacon is one that has a genuine care for and places genuine value upon all people. A deacon is one that cares for the flock. He's going to come alongside and serve. Much like the priest had the Levite to serve with him, so the pastor has the deacon to serve with him. And we look at that classic example in Acts chapter 6. Deacons weren't necessarily wallflowers in that sense or, or doormats. They were people, in some cases, of, of great means and ability. I think about Stephen and Philip, the great preachers they were, men that were filled with God's spirit, men that were great administrators, but men that served men that were willing to do whatever it would take so that the pastor or the, the apostles in that case could continue to do their job. So deacons, people that have a reverence, a gravity about the things of God. Then the Bible says in verse number eight, not double-tongued. I just have to love the old English here, double-tongued, speaking out of two sides of the mouth. 
Exactly right. We know people like that. All of us do. People that whenever they say something, you kind of look at them like, I'm not sure I believe that because you've seen them talk. You know, they talk one way with one group, another way with another group. And that that will destroy your ministry. And so Tim, and so Paul tells Timothy here, make sure they're not double-tongued. They have to be sincere, genuine. They are who they are no matter where they are at. They have a consistent testimony. Hey, our words are just so important. Uh, our words are indicators of our heart. The Bible says in James chapter 3, our words are our bond. Uh, our word it serves as the foundation of our testimony. That's why the Bible says that God has elevated his word above his very name. Why? Because reputation, name, is built upon word. That's why James said, above all things, the most important thing I can tell you is let your yea be yea and your nay nay. In other words, keep your word. Why? Because your word tells me everything about you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So it's not surprising to me that God would say, if you're looking for the right kind of servant leader in your church, look for somebody that values God and the people of God. He's grave. But look for somebody that whose word is indicative of his character. And this is important for us to remember. You know, I, I know sometimes, it, sadly, and sometimes in churches, uh, it's not true at my church here where I attend, but in some churches I know it's been where the deacon board has been more people who have money, prestige, power, and they really have not followed what is happening here. But although you may, some of you listeners may know churches where that has happened, what you find is a deacon board that's not a serving deacon board typically. It's a dysfunctional deacon board. Because what is given here as qualifications, if they're not followed through on, the church of God will not be what it ought to be. So the Bible says in verse 9, they, they, they hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So, you know, read verses like that, and at first glance, sometimes we think, what in the world does that mean? But when you just break it down, it, it really is not a difficult verse to understand. So, holding the mystery, so a mystery in the New Testament was a truth which had previously been cloudy, shadowy, maybe, maybe not entirely understood, but has now been revealed. And the Bible tells us what the mystery is, the mystery of the faith, the fact that Jesus Christ, uh, the fulfillment of God's plan, died, was buried, and rose again, and that that's the mystery of godliness. So the Bible says a, a deacon is one that holds the mystery of the faith, these great truths taught in the Bible about Christ in pure conscience. So, John, how would I then hold the mystery, in other words, understand the, the great truths about Christ with a pure conscience. You know, I think, obviously, a deacon is one who does serve, and a deacon has got to be one who understands the Word of God and lives it out faithfully. You know, I think for a classic example, we'll go back to Acts chapter 6, where you find these men appointed. One thing they were dealing with were the Grecian widows who, you know, weren't being treated right. Uh, they weren't being taken care of right. Um, and so they wanted men who would be willing to come in there and serve them with the right heart to make sure things were done correctly. And so a deacon has to be a man of great character who follows through with a clear conscience and serves God faithfully, whatever God calls him to do in the body of Christ. Maybe if we used modern terminology here as a descriptor, we might say these men are sincerely gospel-centered people. They 
believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in justification and sanctification, and they, they live it out in their lives sincerely. Uh, they're free to talk to others about Jesus. Uh, their lives are a reflection of their belief in the gospel and its sustaining power in their daily living. They hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then the Bible says in verse 10, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Let these also first be proved. So the implication there, John, would seem to be that we shouldn't be just electing deacons when they have been in our church for a month and they look like, wow, where this, where's this guy been our whole ministry? He's come in, he's got a big smile on his face, he gives lavishly and he loves extravagantly. Let's make him a deacon. No, you, know, you better look at more than just a sprint. You better watch the way that he interacts. Let it have time to unfold. How does he treat his family? What is his wife like? What what has he done over time? That's not to say that a guy's got to be in the church 20 years to be a pastor, but there needs to be a proving period of time. You know, one thing in that proving ground is he also needs to be active in the church already, you know, plugged in the church. If a man's not already plugged in the church serving in some way, then it's not likely just because he becomes a deacon that he will be a faithful person doing the service in the church there. He ought to be somebody who's proved in his character, in his work. He ought to be just a good testimony, have a good testimony already in that local body of believers. I like how it says that he should use the office of a deacon being found blameless. An office in the local church, and there really are only two. There's the office of a pastor, also called bishop, elder, and there's the office of a deacon. And and an office is not something to make us look more important, like look at my office and look at my position and look at my title. And I think if we're not careful, we'll become enamored of just that. I'm Dr. So-and-so and look at my office and look at my name tag and, you know, come on. I, I don't think that's the point at all. The point here is that an office, a position, is a tool. And if you have a position of authority, then first of all, you have greater accountability, James 3 and verse 1, but you have an opportunity to use that position to serve people. Use that authority to serve people, not vice versa. And this goes right back to the idea about being grave, about having you know, this weighty idea about God and about serving God. And a person who does have that great reverence for God and for the people of God is going to be a person who will look at this with the right prospect and won't say, well, this is to make me better. No, this is to not, not to build me up. No, this is to help the people of God as they grow to be, to be more like Jesus Christ. I can be faithful in the ministry God's given to me. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. In other words, their wife ought to have the same kind of testimony. If you look at those qualifications, it's really basically a reiteration of what God just told us a deacon should be. Why? Because, again, one's marriage speaks so loudly to one's ultimate character, and uh, a, a man is going to 
have a reputation that is sullied if his wife is the, the opposite of what he is. You're, it's a package deal. It's not Priscilla. It's Priscilla and Aquila. It's not Aquila. It's Aquila and Priscilla. It's a team working together as one unit to serve God. You know, it, there's no way that we can overestimate the value of a husband and wife serving God in tandem for the body of Christ. We all know people where maybe the husband's a Christian, the wife is, or vice versa. Maybe one of them's not, or maybe one's active serving God, one's not active serving God. But there is nothing in a local church that's quite like a team of a husband and wife who are great character, great testimony, serving Christ together, who are a great example to other couples in the church about serving God, Jesus Christ, faithfully together. It didn't say, even so must their wives be the leader of a class. Even so must their wives organize the Ladies Missionary Fellowship. Even so must their wives be... No, it's not talking about your wife has to have a certain personality or a certain gift mix or have a certain position. No, it's just faithful, not a gossip, loves the Lord, serious about the things of God, shows up at church. I mean, these are basic things. Look at verse number 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Uh, ruling their children and their own house as well. We've talked all about this. Their their family will be the indication of their character, the best indication. Then the Bible says in verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So there are great benefits to having served in a godly way as a deacon. Exactly right. We often think about, we talk about sometimes social capital in this world, about how that we have the ability to influence others because of the way that we have treated them. And I think of a, a deacon and his wife, if they, if they treat people right and if they do what God's called them to do well, it's only going to heighten their influence among people and give them greater opportunities to serve Jesus Christ and have an even greater effect for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I have to say that that deacons are not as recognized. Uh, they often don't get the credit. But a deacon to me is such a pure example of what a serving of God ought to be. They're not paid. They serve in many, in many respects, put in all kinds of hours and time and prayer and devotion to a local ministry. They don't get the thanks that a pastor does. There's no deacon's appreciation day. Uh, there's no recognition of the deacon's birthday. There's no Christmas bonus that comes their way. But the Bible says God pays attention and they purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith and a great reward one day for those that have lovingly, humbly, and faithfully served. And obviously all of us ought to have the heart of a true servant and what a great uh, reminder of this section is. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Appreciate you joining us as always. We're going to finish this chapter up next episode. Hope you'll stay along for the ride. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If everyday truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.